A well-known plastic surgeon, Glauco Mena, was shot dead outside of his office. He left behind a trail of angry medical malpractice patients. The law can be a difficult trail to navigate. There are cases that change precedents, and there are cases that change America. Some you know, and some you don't. Join Brian Cruz and Becky Granado of Cruz and Pascara as they dive into the most notorious cases in America and the ones you may not have heard of. This is Behind the Gavel. Welcome back to Behind the Gavel. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Cruz from Cruz and Pascara. And I'm Rebecca Granado. Today, we're going to tell our listeners quite the story. We have a medical malpractice claims, as Brian said, against a doctor that resulted in an unsolved murder. Were our clients involved or not? That was the big question back in the day, I got to tell you. Um, Let me tell you the story of what happened in this case. I was at a seminar when I got a phone call from Becky and Inside Edition and 60 Minutes were requesting interviews with me as the attorney representing these medical malpractice clients who had sued this doctor, Dr. Glaucomena. Dr. Glaucomena was found shot dead outside of his office, his medical office. So this is an unsolved murder at this point. So we were put into uh, a new kind of situation at the time. We both had the medical malpractice case, and then the actually we had three of them, or was it five? We had five. Five. And- we had five of them, but the homicide detective, they were investigating who could be a possible suspect. So... Could an angry uh, uh, med mal client be a suspect? Sure. Could that person have done a crime like this? Sure, if they're angry enough, if they're scarred and scarred for life from the plastic surgery. So we were put in a situation where we had to defend them from the standpoint of a criminal context because that was murder. First-degree murder charges were going to be coming. And... So on their behalf, we refused to let them talk to the police, homicide detectives, asserting a Fifth Amendment right, while at the same time we were pursuing the medical malpractice case. Let me tell you the story of what happened to our five clients who had had plastic surgeries by this doctor. And the doctor's name was Dr. Glauco Mena. He was a well-known, highly respected uh, Windermere plastic surgeon. And so he had done breast implants or other types of surgical procedures on our clients. And, and basically, uh, our investigation revealed that each one of them got infections. So when you get an infection, it'll cause a rejection of your uh, breast implants. Or if you get an infection for like a tummy tuck, you know, it could leave really nasty scars because they have to go in and and re, it called debride it, where they open you back up and and try to get all the the uh, pus and all the other stuff out of your your stomach and 
then they sew you back up. Uh, and it, it just creates uh, big scars and ongoing problems. So we had filed lawsuits on behalf of our client, and this is, to me, where things get really interesting because I'm at a seminar and Becky calls me and says, inside edition in 60 minutes, they're on the phone. They want to do an interview right now with you. And they, they wanted to do this interview about glaucoma. And is it possible one of my clients or their husbands or loved ones could have been the killer of Dr. Glaucomena? It was a very interesting day at the office. I'm telling you, we are all walking out to go to lunch, and all of a sudden our parking lot is just full of press. Uh, Cameras are being set up, trucks are coming in, and we're all standing there going, what happened? What's going on? And all of a sudden they call me from Inside Edition and say, we'd like to talk to Mr. Cruz about the murder of the physician. We knew nothing about it. We were just going through our daily work, plodding along on the case. And uh, Brian was in, I believe, Puerto Rico at the time. So I, they wanted to actually fly a crew to meet him in Puerto Rico. Which they night. did, actually. They did. And uh, so it was quite a shocking, not our normal day. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm normally not going to be talking here, but this is literally one of the cases where my eyes are lit up and, and you know, you said the magic word, you know, murder. So I'm, I'm, I'm literally shocked here. You know, hey, everyone, this is Phil. Uh, Camille is out doing her thing. And so, Becky, you said you, you got a phone call from Inside Edition and, and all these. So you guys had no clue. Yeah, so you guys are just working the malpractice stuff, oh, and we then were you just, gotta- We were just filing our cases, working on. It was just a normal day at the office. Um, we're processing, we're organizing. It's actually kind of a quiet day, and we open the door, and there's the parking lot full of press. Wow! So after you called Brian, when they flew the crew down to, so what? What did they want to actually talk to you about? Well, they wanted they wanted to talk about you know could any of your clients have been suspects could they have killed dr glaucomena so what actually happened how did he how did he get killed what happened there okay he would he was at his office which is off of colonial i think back in the day closer to windermere he was at his office and there was a young man cleaning leaves in the building adjacent to him and he looks over and he sees a woman rummaging through the doctor's car, and then she takes off in a white Cadillac. Um, He heard the gunshot, so he was a little nervous. I think he was 16, 17. And um, they found Dr. Mena killed inside his office. Yeah, the the problem was is the witness, the eyewitness, could not positively identify who that woman was, but he did identify her as a well-dressed woman. And uh, so then that opens up a whole field of any former patient of the doctors, uh, anybody that had a grudge with the doctor, uh, anyone, um, his wife, you know, were, you know, what was going on there. So they were looking, their suspects, there was a big field of people that had sued Dr. Glaucomena and also his wife. One of the 
detective series was that it was a disgruntled patient who had plotted revenge against Dr. Glaucomena, and that's why they came to us, which put Brian in an unusual position for a civil attorney. Right. So I'm the civil attorney. You're representing these victims of medical malpractice, although, you know, the firm, we also do some criminal law as well. You know, typically it's the high-end blue-collar, I'm sorry, white-collar crimes, uh, uh, but we've we've done all types of uh, criminal representations. So, um, so now we're put in a position of not only being the civil attorney, but we're going to be almost like a criminal defense attorney for our, our, our clients who are making claims because they're potential suspects. They're not people of interest. The wife was a person of interest, but they, they were potential suspects or they were suspects from the standpoint of they, the, they wanted to rule them out. I believe, and we believe now, that it was the wife, and the wife was angry at him because he had a wandering eye and other body parts, mm-hmm. and so she was. The, we found out later uh, that she, the wife had actually caught him in the act of having sexual intercourse on his desk in his office at some point in time about a week earlier. So there was obviously motive then on behalf of the wife. But yet the police could not find the weapon. There was no weapon, but he was definitely shot in the head with a high caliber pistol. Wow. So you get so the malpractice cases weren't even finished, right? No. You guys were still in the middle of oh, it. Oh, we were right? in the middle of it. We had um about five of them, if memory serves me correct, and we had settled one for the limits of the coverage, which allowed I think that's how we got a lot, of, and that's still today how we get a lot of our clients by referral. That woman told another woman who told another woman. So we had gone through, I believe we'd settled two, and we still had three open cases. Yeah. And the Department of Insurance shows these open cases. So the police were able to see that he'd had a multitude of malpractice claims, so they came right to us. And so, you know, for example, one of our clients had a breast implant fall out in the mall. It was very humiliating to have a, a, black, a breast implant come out, squirt out of her bra, and land on the floor in the middle of the Altamont Mall. And then the another client had had a bad uh, tummy tuck situation. And then, of course, the third client, I believe, also had a, a, a bad result from uh, breast implants. And it turned out, and here's a fact that a lot of people don't know, turned out that basically his nurse uh, and the investigation of the police proved that he would do these surgeries on the table in his office and he wouldn't clean it between patients. So hell, no wonder why people were getting infections. And so when the infection happens, it, it causes all the stitching to burst loose and you have this nasty scar and you have the potential of you know, getting MRSA or some other bacteria that can really cause you a lifetime of, of problems. So so naturally, the police were looking at our clients and they were looking at the wife. Wow. So when you guys have an investigation like that, so you essentially have to defend and 
and you do plaintiff stuff? Like I'm, I'm so confused That's here. That's correct. So. <laughs> we're, we're still protecting the clients and pursuing their med mal case because th- ab- absolutely there's insurance involved. So we're still working on this, but as an attorney, Brian has a duty to try and defend them or protect them. Everybody's always heard the Fifth Amendment. Um, yeah, what may- does that mean, Brian? Well, you know, the Fifth Amendment is like, you know, you're right not to incriminate yourself. So you have, you know, you have Fourth Amendment, Fifth Amendment, Sixth Amendment, you know, you, unreasonable search and seizures. That's the Fourth Amendment. Right not to incriminate yourself. Remember back in the old days in old England, they would beat a confession. And even in the United States, that happened and probably still happens today on occasion where they will, you know, get a confession out of someone. But it's not supposed to be that way. It's, you know, you're supposed to be protected. I think in this case, the detective. He was very forthcoming with us speaking in the office. I think all along they thought it was the wife Okay. Um, for any number of reasons back then. But if you proceed on to eventually a murder trial, you don't want the defense to start arguing, well, the police only looked at one person. They thought it was the wife from the very beginning. So they didn't investigate all these other people who could have potentially killed him. Yeah, the classic was uh, O.J. Simpson trial. Where was it Furman? Was that was his name? Correct. Uh, he only looked at O.J. He didn't look at other potential uh, suspects. They just focused in so on that's, O.J. So that's bad. Correct. It it leaves a reasonable doubt in the jury. Um, A good criminal defense attorney, as in Ricardo Pascara, would take that and say, well, you never even checked these women who had lawsuits against him. You never even looked at them. You went right after the wife. You thought the wife did it from the very beginning. Okay. So, so in my uneducated mind here, I'm, I'm thinking because, so they're, isolating that one person they're not even thinking about that's correct okay so does that seem like prejudice against that one person or well i don't know if you'd call it prejudice but what you call it as a defense attorney would call it i think is and what you see on television and brian rightly mentioned oj simpson is well detective there was other evidence there's other people who could have done this but you didn't go there Uh you went straight for the wife so i think you would have a jury question of did the police do the right thing did they do a thorough investigation or did they just target the easy person the spouse okay ultimately in this case i I think the police executed a search warrant of her house out in wintermere in a fluent neighborhood out there uh, you can probably guess which one. And in any event, they could not find the pistol that was involved. They also did a search of the lakes. They did drag nets of the, several of the lakes, which you would pass on your way from his office in Pine Hills to Windermere, and they could not locate the weapon. So one of the things in a murder case like that, you got to have motive, and then you, you need to have the weapon. Uh, do you absolutely have to have the weapon? No, but... It, um, it you know you typically creates a hole in the case if you don't. So ultimately, I believe they worked out a, a deal where they, even though they couldn't prove it, uh, 
they gave her the opportunity to leave the the country and go back to Argentina where she was from. She so. surrendered her passport, but I'm going to back up just a little bit because I remembered something about this. When they were they set her up a little bit, the detective called her at home to say her husband was in the hospital. They didn't say he was dead. They didn't say he what had happened, but they needed her to come to the hospital. So they had a detective in Windermere watching her, the wife, at her house. So she goes out, gets her purse, gets in her car. But instead of driving to the hospital, she takes a long drive in the opposite direction, winding through Windermere. And at some point in there, they think she probably disposed of the gun in one of the lakes. Wow. Because there's, you know, any number of lakes. And uh, so the, the thing about that made it suspicious is if, if someone called you at home and said your spouse is in the hospital, you'd go right to the hospital. You wouldn't know what happened. You wouldn't take a long winding way, right, a long winding drive in the opposite direction. And then when she got to the hospital, uh, finally, I think it was maybe an hour or two later, it was a ridiculous amount of time. And they informed her that her husband was dead they went on to the CSI, can we do a gunshot residue test on your hands? Well, she had already washed her hands before she even came up the to the hospital floor. Yeah. the um, It's also interesting because she didn't show a lot of signs of uh, being upset or sad. Um like you would be if you just found out somebody killed your husband or wife, you know? Wow. Um, well, I think time showed he was quite the monster. Yeah. Both, you know, so, obviously with your patients and a, a doctor supposed to be caring and kind of, you know, nurturing. The Hippocratic Oath. Correct. Do no harm. Do no harm. But the, exactly. wa- the wife, I think she... You know, if I had to make a, a guess, and this is just a total guess, I'm sure he treated her terribly. And they had two grown sons, so they'd been married a very long time. So do you think they actually, they knew that about his character and kind of gave her a bone? Just just, just your own opinion, your own personal I opinion. absolutely do. I absolutely do. To- I don't think they had enough evidence to actually prove it in a court of law. And I also feel like at the end of the day, they thought he was such a monster. And I'm not speculating what's in their mind. But I don't think that his wife was a threat to society. I don't think she's a killer in the essence that she's going to go and shoot you or me or someone else. I I think if you really dug into this, you'd find out that she was the classic abused woman. Yeah. She found him in a the week before sleeping with one of his patients on the examining table or his nurse or something ridiculous along those lines. And who knows, she snapped. But I think at the end of the day, they realized they couldn't prove it. They didn't think they were going to get a conviction. So they took her passport and sent her to Argentina, never to return to America. I've got to say, Phil, this is one of the more unusual cases we've we've ever had. Yes. Because it involves all kinds of, of intrigue and mystery. And by the way, we still don't know who really killed yeah. Dr. Glaucoma. So it's, so it's still an open case. It's, it's an open case. It's an unsolved murder. Yep. Wow. And uh, it's still today. Um, and, 
you know, again, he had so many enemies. That's why, you know, they have to make a decision like we have to make a decision. What cases are you going to prosecute and what cases are you going to be able to win in front of a jury? And a man that has that many enemies, you've heard the word reasonable doubt many times if you watch any television at all or legal. Um, And I think Brian could explain reasonable doubt, the difference between civil and criminal. But you have to and I'm going to let him do that because he's much better at it. But um, I think they had to think in their minds, there's just too many people who could have shot this man. There's too much doubt. And the state is going to spend an enormous amount of money and publicity and possibly not get a conviction. Well, that they were more worried about not getting a conviction than the money they were going to have to spend because, you know, in these high profile cases, the state attorneys want to win because they think it'll affect their election chances if they, you know, have a number of losses in high profile cases. So that's, I mean, that's just part of politics. You know, the, the next guy will come along and go, well, he's taking these cases to trial and they've lost these high profile murder cases. So what's reasonable uh, doubt. Reasonable doubt is the uh, balancing. uh, There's, in, in the criminal cases, you got to prove beyond and to the exclusion of a reasonable doubt. And that, you know, you can point out doubt here, doubt here, doubt here, doubt here. Um, you know, could it have been one of his disgruntled patients? Wow, there were a bunch of them, you know. Um, whereas in a civil case, when we're proving medical malpractice, it's just, uh, it's more likely right than wrong. More likely did his malpractice caused the injuries, mm. you know, so the, the, if you want to use a number system, a reasonable doubt is a hundred percent, uh, personal injury, civil burden of proof is whatever slightly over 50% is more likely than not, or a preponderance of the evidence or the greater weight of the evidence or a slightly tipping the scale uh, that's so you can see the burden of proof in a civil case is much lower than in a criminal case. Well, so you guys are probably listening right now. You're probably thinking, I have so many questions. I have so many questions. <laughs> well, okay. call us. So, well, so, well, go ahead. So ask a few. My first question is, so what, after he was murdered, what happened with the malpractice cases? Oh, I can tell you that. That's easy. Dead doctors can't defend themselves. So, so what happened? So what? what the case is settled. Okay. Uh, so, like his insurance. Yeah, okay. because I mean, they could still defend, but they would not have him to stand up and and say I didn't do anything wrong, which might have been actually better for him. But because um, he was certainly a monster, I don't know if I could have proven that uh, on the stand in a civil case. But you know. He, he was uh, with him being deceased. A lot of their defenses became weaker. Obviously, uh, the case is settled. Okay. So, wow. Rapidly, they so, settled rapidly. <laughs> so, you you guys mentioned um, medical malpractice quite a quite a, a bit here. Uh, for those people who are new to law or, or, or don't don't know what that means, what does the term uh, medical malpractice actually actually mean? Well, it's. When a medical doctor falls beyond below the prevailing standard of care uh, and does something that a reasonably prudent doctor of the same training, you know, 
orthopedic, ENT, heart surgeon, whatever, ER doctor, uh, if they and and so if they don't follow the protocols correctly, or they don't administer the treatment correctly, or they untimely don't diagnose something, uh, like classic example uh, is not diagnosing a heart attack. You send the person home. And an hour later, they die at home from a heart attack or failing to diagnose cancer. And then four months later, uh, somebody else looks at the CT scan or MRI and they can see clear signs of uh, cancer. Um, we could do an entire podcast yeah. on misdiagnosis. We should. Yeah. So with these cases, you mentioned that they had infections because he wasn't cleaning the mm. table. the table. So that's that's what constant that's what is Yeah, that's that's a breach of the what we call a breach of the standard of care. Like what would a reasonably prudent doctor do that? The answer is hell no. You know, not just no but hell no. Well that's why they make hospitals and surgery centers and Yeah. Sterilization and nurses. You don't do these operations inside your office on an examining table. No. Oh. You got to have like a little operating room inside your office if you're going to okay. do it. Have a surgery I, center. I get you. Okay. I, he, so he was literally doing these procedures in his office. Correct. Wow. Okay. Wow. Now, that, yeah. and let me clarify that a lot of physicians have a surgery center yeah. that's set up and maintained to the code of the state of Florida yeah. and above and beyond, and are perfectly safe, perfectly clean. But there's this group of people who were, you know, he didn't want to pay the fees for a surgery center, so he would just use his examining room. These examining rooms are not sterile places. Okay, I get it now. So when you, I've had surgery, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have had surgeries before. When you sign these paperworks, um, I guess they're called consent forms. Informed consent. Can you still recover damages if there is a med mal uh, claim? Good question. And the answer is it depends. <laughs> <laughs> Never a clear answer. No, you know, it's, it's lawyers speak. We speak out of both sides of our mouth. But it depends. And the reason I say that is um, if they told you about a risk and, and hey, the risk of this procedure is um, you may get infection. And the doctor does everything right, but you still get an infection. Everything was sterile. Everything was done right. You still get an infection. Then you probably don't have a breach of the standard of care if, the, if that explains it to you. But if, on the other hand, uh, the doctor doesn't use clean instruments or doesn't have a clean, sterile um, surgical suite, um, that would be a, a, quote, breach of the standard of care. And then you would have the ability to overcome the informed consent because you're not saying uh, because you're informed consent, you're not saying you can commit malpractice on me, but what they are informing you of, there are certain complications and risk associated. You know, and typically it's a pretty good list if you've seen them. Um, so if it's a known and accepted risk, you're probably not going to have, a medical malpractice case, uh, you know, unless we can point to um, the doctor actually doing something wrong. Okay. So, so this is something, so 
let's just say in the future, if you do have surgery or whatever, how would they even know that they weren't sterilizing? So let's say I'm the, I'm one of the patients that I had breast surgery, right? Yeah. And my implant fell out or whatever. <laughs> they go to their, I guess a new doctor or they go to him and say, Hey, this is what happened to me. So how do you even, how do they even decide to even come to you? Because I'm sure the doctor's not going to tell them go see a lawyer because how does that, how did that even happen? Becky, do you remember how they even came to you? Because I would be afraid my doctor did the surgery on me. Well, I, I have to go back to him to tell him he messed up. So how does they even, how does that even happen? Right. Well, how they got to us, like I said earlier, one woman was, her husband was just very upset and they called us because someone had referred someone and they came here. Now, what happens in a case like that is they don't go back to the doctor. We send them to another doctor, which here we go with that word again, an expert. We would send them to a doctor who would examine them and make a, we would send them to a doctor who would examine them and look at the records and see what happens and make a diagnosis of whether that fell beyond the standard of the care, whether it was truly malpractice, whether it was just a unfortunate result from the surgery, which happens, that's not malpractice. So we, again, would hire another physician to review. Good point. In fact, before you can sue a doctor, a lot of people don't know this, before you can just run out and file a lawsuit against a doctor, you have to have the records reviewed and an expert with the same qualifications that does the same type of practice, you know, it has this, if it's a neurosurgeon, it's got to be a neurosurgeon, uh, for example. Uh, you have to have them sign what's called an affidavit, and the affidavit is sworn to, and they have to swear that this fell below the standard of care, and so then you file that uh and there's a waiting period of 90 days, 60 to 90 days. And if they want to resolve it, they do. Typically, if they don't, then you can file your lawsuit. So you have to spend a lot of time and money to get that affidavit. Typically, that's five or $10,000 just to file the lawsuit against the doctor. So the legislature gave doctors that kind of protection, and uh, that's fine. Uh, actually, it's not fine, but it's the way it is. Um, and it's just one more loop or one more step we have to take to pursue justice on behalf of our clients. So that's why they should call. I mean, because they could have phone call us because, I mean, she just literally just had a simple infection. and She could have been just not done anything. Well, it was a simple infection until it popped out. Uh, well, the, the tummy the I think when you're I think you're also when you're walking in the mall and your breast implant shoots out into the mall. I think, you know, you have a problem. It's not funny, but it's funny. Kids start playing soccer with it. Right. It's, um, wow. This was a definitely juicy one. I, 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 we thought you might find this a little entertaining or the listeners find this a little entertaining. You know, we've had a, just about everything. We've seen just about everything. I almost sound like that farmer's commercial, you know, (laughs) but uh, we've seen just about everything. So, wow. So, I mean, to, to, to wrap this up, I mean, we literally could talk about this stuff all day these malpractice stuff. I do want to do a podcast later about stuff like that because I mean I, I'm sure a lot of people have a lot of questions in, in regards to stuff like right. that because there's just terms that they just 
They don't. And I don't even know. They don't know. You know, and so, I mean, if you guys have any questions, p- please don't hesitate to call, you know, 407 841 0200. Because, I mean, this could have been something that someone else had not even thought about even contacting you guys for. You know, and so unfortunately, it turned into a murder case. But, <laughs> but <laughs> that's usually that's pretty rare. But yeah, hey, it was the first time I was over on uh, sixty minutes and Inside Edition, so that wow. was kind of cool. Wow. So man, I mean, geez, if you guys have any questions, please uh, don't forget to find us on social media at uh, Brian W. Cruz and Facebook at Cruz and Pescara. You can find the podcast. They have their own stuff at Behind the Gavel. So continue to send your questions. If you have any questions that you want to speak to a lawyer about, definitely don't forget to call 407-841-0200 and uh, stick around for a preview of the next episode of Behind the Gavel. And with that said, guys, thank you for tuning in and catch us next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Behind the Gavel. Join the discussion on social media at Behind the Gavel. Again, that's Behind the Gavel, all one word. Tune in after the break for a preview of the next episode of Behind the Gavel. Hi, this is Brian Cruz of Cruz and Pascara. If you're in an automobile accident and you're injured, listen up. First, go to the hospital. Next, call your lawyer. Why? Because you need advice. Call Cruz and Pascara, your I-4 lawyer. 407-841-0200. 407-841-0200. Cruz and Pascara, your I-4 lawyer. All right, Brian. Okay, our first question that we have here is, what is product liability? First of all, but what does a product liability case mean? That's a good question, Phil. And um, product liability case involves uh, a consumer product, typically that uh, has a defect or has something unreasonably dangerous about it.